our podcast this week Colin Trevorrow pops by to open up the book of Henry talk about Jurassic World 2 Star Wars Episode 9 and being a human piñata plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that expects to be relieved of its duties about two thirds of the way through this week's episode. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, due to a number of reasons, I'm not joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning this week. I'm not even joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning this week. I'm not even joined, really, frankly, if we're being honest, by a colleague of any cunning whatsoever. I'm joined by one person. And that one person is James Dyer. How are you? I'm fine, thanks, Chris. Thanks for the, uh, the loving intro there. This is going to be an odd... Oh, you can hear that. Uh, yes. That's embarrassing. Um, this is going to be an odd dynamic, isn't it? It's it is an odd dynamic, like, yeah. In conversation with. <laughs> it's more of an interview, I think, really, than, than a hosting gig, this. Why are we uh, so light in numbers? What's happened? It's hard to say. Well, Nick was going to join us. Yeah. And then got whisked away for a secret screening that we can't talk about. Secret sushi, sushi. What, what, what could it be? I don't know, it, it, it could be something. I don't know what it is. I mean, we could ask him what it was when he gets out of it, but I don't know what, what it is that he's seeing. Expertly navigated. <laughs> uh, Helen, Helen O'Hara is away. The freelance life. My God, the freelance life. Where is she anyway? She's been she, gone for like a month. Well, she was gone for a month running up a mountain. Yeah, that's right? true. Okay. That's true. But that's like it's four weeks off. And then she comes back for like, what, two, three weeks? And she's on holiday again. She's on holiday again. And she's... she's Tour guiding. She's showing a bunch of uh, people around the Emerald Isle, which I believe is not a euphemism. This is <laughs> this is Ireland, uh, our our home patch of soil, and she's uh, showing people around that for free cash. Wow! So that's good. Well, maybe she should say that. And she's showing people around that at the moment. It's uh, which is something she likes to do. She likes to go around places and go, look, this is historical, and I know about it. Which I would do if I knew anything about history, but I don't. So. You, you can't tell us anything about Ireland. I can't tell you anything about anything, as the Empire podcast has made very, very clear over the last few years. Um, so it is just you and I, because Phil's busy. We're on we're on press, pretty much, with mm. the magazine at the moment. Uh, John Nugent, is, he's off recording a solo album. <laughs> Terry's about to go to Glastonbury. He is. So it's just you and me. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about? What should we do? Oh, it's hard to say. Football. Is football. <laughs> <laughs> I could give you some top tips. On on the on all the I know all the footballs. Okay, go on. Who's your favourite team? Oh no, you mentioned a footballer today, didn't you? And it was someone I'd heard of, and I can't think who it was in the office. You you talked about him with probably with Johnny because he's the only other one who talked about football. I don't think with I was talking about football. You did. You mentioned someone. It, was it like Bruce Grobelar or something? Bruce Grobelar. He's a footballer, isn't he? He is a footballer. Yeah. There you go. I said, I've heard of him. I've heard of Chris Waddle. I've heard of Gary Lineker. I've heard of Kevin Keegan and Bobby Charlton. And I think that makes up the main offensive line of the England team. Am I right? <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow, Bruce Grobbler, former Liverpool goalkeeper, uh, who my mum used to call Bruce Grobbligar because she couldn't get his name right. Um, but that was just something she had. She couldn't remember people's names. Right. So I had a friend called um, I had a friend called Carlo, and she used to call him Rolo. That's odd. Yeah. Well, you know, Martina Navratilova became Martina Navrava Pavlova because uh, she just couldn't do it. She just couldn't get the names into her head. Yeah. Yeah. This so was there an interesting go. segue. It was an interesting segue. Uh, okay, so it's just James and I. We're going to be shooting the shit about all sorts of stuff over the next hour. So we're going to be talking about Transformers. Have you seen Transformers the last night? I haven't. Have you seen... We'll be talking about the Book of Henry. Have you seen the Book of Henry? Oh, the Book of Henry? Yeah. No, sorry. 
So this is going to go well, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. However, there's a film out this week called Hampstead, and I've been to Hampstead. <laughs> so I think we're sorted. And I can highly recommend, if anyone does go to Hampstead, the crepery on the high street is divine. That may be the most middle-class thing ever said in the Empire podcast. I think we may have to stop after this episode. Uh, right, but what we do have is a question, and we had a question initially prepared for, for more than two people, uh, which we'll be doing next week. So if you send in a question about James Bond, you know who you are, probably, uh, unless you don't. Uh, we'll be tackling that next week when there's more of us. But in the meantime, we're going to tackle one. We're going to wing it. We've got a question that's just come in on the uh, Empire Twitter feed. It's from Phil Fort, uh, at Phil Fort T, 1886, which I presume means he was born in 1886. Uh, so, well done. Uh, is there anyone who has written for Empire but who has never been on the podcast that you would love to have on the podcast? Mm. It's a little bit of an insular navel gazing question, but I, I quite, I kind of like it. I mean, for me, the number one uh, personality who I think is associated with Empire and has been since we 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 came to be back in 1989 is Kim Newman. You're right, Kim. And has Kim never has been never been on this podcast. That's a good shout. I'd, like, good I'd like to hear him on the podcast. Uh, Tim, Tim Newman. Tim. I, I know him so well. I can't even. I can't even remember his first name. Tim Newman. Um, yes, yeah, so I'd like to see Tim on the podcast. He's he's excellent. Love him. Kim, Kimothy, Kimothy Newman would be great because obviously Kim has forgotten more about film, not just horror film, because obviously he's a horror nut. But he has forgotten more about films than any of us. I think all of us actually combined. Uh, no, so it's interesting. And talking to Kim is like talking to the IMDb. Mm. I've it's, never. I've I've been invited. I've known Kim for. Wow, like 15 plus years now. And I think he's invited me to his summer barbecue party thing every year and I've never been able to go. And mm. I've never witnessed the the sort of shrine to cinema that is his house or indeed the actual literal dungeon that he genuinely has. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's not even a joke. He genuinely has a dungeon because isn't his house, it's a former police station, isn't it? So he has the jail cells. Yes, I believe it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, and apparently he also has uh, at, the, at this party he throws once a year, which again, I've never been to either. Uh, always clashes with something. Mm. Um, he uh, he has apparently the likes of Spielberg and Scorsese. They they just turn up. And they they become waiters for the day. And they just walk around in aprons. I'd quite like a a, a volavant from Steven Spielberg. Mm. The thing about Kim is Kim is obviously a very prolific writer. He's a writer of comic books and he's a writer of plays and he's a writer of novels. Mm. And so maybe one day when he has something to plug. I know he has a book coming out that is related to Empire. I'm not sure if I can disclose what it is at this point. But he has a book coming out soon. So maybe we'll get him in. And yeah, maybe we'll get him in as a guest and give him the uh, you know the platform that he deserves. He shouldn't be one of us. No, he should, he, we should we should have, you know give him the roll out the red carpet and bring him in and 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 laud him with stuff and just you know, throw gifts at him. We should do that. He's in Sandman, isn't he? In the Is he? I seem to recall now, and please bear with me because I could be entirely making this up, or I may have just dreamt it. But I seem to recall at MovieCon, the first MovieCon we did, me and Kim were sitting in the green room, and I mentioned something along the lines of how many goes, "Oh, I'm in Sandman." I was like, "Are you kidding?" I said, "How did you come to be in Sandman? How is this a thing?" And he said, "Well, I put Neil in my book, so I guess it was just turned <laughs> about as fair play." And I was just like, "Yeah, I'm not really worthy to be here with you, am I?" Ah, oh, bless him. He's quite cool. It is pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, Kim, Kim, number one. Kim. Yes, Kim, number one. I'm. I'd like to put a shout out for Simon Crook. I'd like to see Simon Crook on the podcast. 
The Crookie Monster. The Crookie Monster, mm. yeah. Simon Crook is a very, very good writer. He writes Vampire, a very, very funny guy. Uh, he uses language in a very interesting way. He makes up words uh, or, or letter sandwiches, as he'll probably call them. He's a, yeah, a black belt in neologisms. Yes, so uh, he is awesome. So maybe one day we'll have him on the podcast. Uh, more historically, uh, Danny Baker, no, who... Uh, who used to write a column for Empire back in the early days. He'd be pretty cool. I'd like to have the first editor of Empire on the podcast, Barry McElhenney, mm. uh, also from My Neck of the Woods, uh, although not remotely the same part of the neck. So if I'm from the Adam's <laughs> Apple of Northern Ireland, he would be from the, the bit round the back near the jugular. Um, so I'd like to have him on just to talk about his experience of, uh, of, of bringing this magazine into being. Yes, in a pub on Holloway Road. As it was yeah. conceptualized. Absolutely. And, you know, the famous story, or famous for us anyway, sorry, this is really self indulgent, but of how uh, Empire uh, got its name, where they went to, it was called Project Odeon at the mm. time, and they, uh, they needed a name for the magazine. And back in, the, back in the, the late 80s, following in the footsteps of Q, which is a, still going, obviously, and is a magazine about music, and they had slightly more esoteric names, slightly names that didn't quite make sense. They weren't Ron Seal names, they didn't do exactly what they said in the tin. You know, so rather he, he eschewed obvious names for a film magazine like, oh, I don't know, Total Film. And he, he went to Leicester Square with the, the Brain Trust uh, and they looked around the cinemas of Leicester Square and they called themselves Empire after the Empire Leicester Square, and, which is no more. It is no more. It is no more. It's now a Cineworld. It is a Cineworld. Cineworld so, IMAX. Yeah, so we could have been called Cineworld IMAX magazine, which they might have sued us for. Uh, <laughs> luckily, of course, Empire is a, is, a, is a name that is multi-purpose and cannot be trademarked. Except in the case of the Empire Film Podcast, of course. Anyone else? Are you happy enough? No, I don't want anyone else on the podcast. I've had enough now. Yeah. Well, of the podcast? Just generally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Should we do one more question or should we get on with things? Go on. Let's do another question that isn't quite so navel-gazing. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, Carl Clark uh, from at Chen PPI uh, asks stunningly easy free way to confirm if you had PPI and then there's a Google link oh no that's a promoted tweet um, alright alright okay oh here we go here we go Adam Clark at Clark Angel and this is a good way we can actually get some of this week's big movie news out of the way as well with the announcement that Daniel Day-Lewis is to retire is he the greatest actor of all time if not he who oh oh, oh. We don't, need to, we, we don't need to prep for this. We can wing it. Is he the greatest actor of all time? Is he the greatest? I mean, he's often regarded as such. He's certainly a, a, a contender, I would think. I mean, how do we... How do we... How do we... How do we uh, uh, I mean, what makes the greatest actor? What's the criteria? What are we saying? Uh, if the criteria is other actors saying that, you know, they look up to this guy and they revere this guy and they worship the ground he walks on and he does stuff that no other actor can... Then I'd say he's up there. Mm. He's up there with Brando. And he's up there with De Niro, and he's up there with Michael J. Fox, and <laughs> you know all the great, great actors, the chameleons of the yes. of the day. Um, he is. So this is the news. Just in case you you don't know what's happened, uh, it was announced this week that Daniel Day Lewis, who is just sixty years old, looks a y- lot younger, obviously, um, sixty years old, has confirmed in a statement that he will no longer act. He is going to star in Paul Thomas Anderson's, I always get that wrong, Paul <laughs> Thomas Anderson's, not Paul W.S. Anderson's, although I'd love to see those two team up. He's, he's going to be in the next Resident Evil, that's what you're saying. That would be amazing. Yeah. Or a remake of Event Horizon where he plays the, the, the Lewis and Clark. Um, 
so he's going to retire from acting again because he's done it before. Yes. Um, this is not true, though, is it? He's not actually retiring. He's going off to kind of work in like a Tesco Metro or something for a while in a kind of method way. Like he became a cobbler yeah. and made shoes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. He went off and made shoes. And I imagine he was very good at that as well. He'll be back. He's yeah. like Soderbergh. Do you think he'll be back? Yeah, I do. I don't think he will. He'll get bored. I don't think he will. He got bored making shoes. Did he, though? I, I, has, have you seen his footwear recently? <laughs> they, they don't look, you know, self-crafted. I have, I mean, in fairness. I'm not wearing a pair of Daniel Day-Lewis uh, brogues. But I, I wonder, I think this, this sounds pretty final. And obviously we hope that there are no external factors that well, are... You know, bringing this decision. Well, quite. That's the question because they said that this is the statement, and there will be no follow-up statements. You yeah, know, it's not. So I'm hoping that it isn't health-related or yeah. there's something serious going on. Uh, it's, I think a lot of people were surprised because it is very rare for actors to retire. Mm. You know, this that that old feeling that they they would rather keel over wearing the yeah. grease paint and be hauled off stage than then you know than than just go into their dotage. Uh, away from the cameras or away from the stage. Just rolls age with you, and unless you've done something like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, there's never normally a pressing reason <laughs> to walk away from yeah. cinema altogether. But it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because Connery, as we talked about with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he retired because he had such a horrible experience in that, and he made one film after that, Sir Billy, when he, he an animated movie that he lent his voice to. Mm. Um, Gene Hackman retired, but that was health-related. Michael Ontkeen, who played Sheriff Harry S. Truman in Twin Peaks, retired. And so much so that whenever they came back for the third season that they wanted to bring him back and they couldn't because he didn't want to do it because um, he'd retired. So, But it's very rare. I mean, those are three examples I can think of off the top of my head. Bridget Fonda is another person, another actor who retired. And she retired when she married um, Danny Elfman, I believe. And mm. she went, went off and... and Joe's a life with Danny Elfman ahead of acting in movies the same with um, Alison Lohman who after marrying Mark Neveldean the co-director of Crank and Crank 2 decided to quit acting as well uh, although she's back on Twitter and she's now an acting coach she's on okay. Twitter as uh, acting with Alison I believe Act, act, acting with Alison so maybe Daniel Day-Lewis will do this um, and maybe he'll he'll come back in some form but, but is he the greatest actor? no I don't I, ever I, Honestly, hand on heart, probably from a technical point of view, yes, because very few actors have the dedication or the the ability to sink into a character like Daniel Day-Lewis. I mean, I've spoken to a number of people who worked on Lincoln and they said that they didn't work with Daniel Day-Lewis, they worked with Abraham Lincoln, mm. which is really, really weird. And if he has some sort of Ouija board that is helping him get in touch with his characters, that's unfair to other actors. But, but then, I always find him a little cold. He, he I, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. He doesn't, he doesn't have a warmth to him. He yeah. is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and but then, I mean, you look at the others. You mentioned Bra- uh, Brando. You know, Dustin Hoffman, Gene Hackman. I Gene would say Hackman is one of the league greats. But then, you know, you look at Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, definitely up there. But then, some of the shine has come off because De Niro, in particular, has made some very questionable choices latterly. Yeah, but we had De Niro on the podcast, and he was actually lamenting about the fact that. You know, when you become a certain age, and Dave Lewis is 60, uh, and De Niro's in his 70s, that the, the, the roles where you're number one on the call sheet tend to dry up. Mm. And, uh, but the you ones... can do good supporting roles. You don't have to do... Yeah, you know... but I don't know if Daniel De Lewis is necessarily a supporting role kind of guy. And maybe he didn't, maybe he wants to, you know, he wants to go gently in, into that night. I mean, you know, he, he wants to 
uh, you know, he just wants to step away from it. And so he's not going to be playing Fifth Banana to Sack Efron in the movie where he has to take his shirt off for laughs. Um, not that I can see him doing that. Okay, well, let's talk greatest. I mean, how do you feel about Hanks? Because Hanks is he's the everyman, isn't he? He's that. Hanks role. is great. Hanks is a phenomenal actor. And uh, I think if anyone is going to get a third Oscar to, to rival Day-Lewis at some point, I think it might well be Tom Hanks because he's, he's great. Uh, I think Day-Lewis is a, a better actor. And I think mm. Day-Lewis is one of those actors where most actors would go, he's a better actor than me. There's something about that guy. You know, whether it's my left foot, his, his commitment to the craft is absolutely astonishing. The things, the lengths he would go to or, or would have gone to to, uh, to prepare for roles is incredible. Uh, but honestly, if you give me the choice between watching a Daniel Day-Lewis movie, and this is no, I'm, honestly, I, I don't mean any disrespect. He's an amazing, amazing actor. But if you gave me a choice between watching a Daniel Day-Lewis movie or a Robert De Niro movie or a Gene Hackman movie, I know what I'd rather watch. Mm. Uh, but that said, he's an amazing, amazing actor, and we wish him all the best in his retirement. We do. We do indeed. Right, so that's the question segment beautifully dealt with. Look at that. And we've already cracked through half of news. <laughs> Pretty much. We do have... One pretty big news story to talk about. What what could possibly have happened, Chris? I can't recall us discussing anything well, in the office this week. We'll get to that in a second. I, I shall tell people that if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, you can do so by uh, contacting us via Twitter. We're at Empire Magazine. You can use the hashtag Empire Podcast as well. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. I really should check our Facebook. I'm sure, sure there are loads of great questions in there that I haven't checked for ages. Um, and there's the email as well, podcast at empireonline.com. Uh, right. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Movie news. Uh, so, and, and can I just say, first of all, the this is the story that uh, that Phil Lord and Chris Miller uh, this week were relieved of their duties. They were they were let go in many ways. Oh my god! <sighs> I'm just going to call Helen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm banned from the podcast now, aren't I? Okay. Banished from the land. That's fair. Uh, they were relieved of their duties uh, filming the Han Solo movie this week. They were let go, uh, and they've been replaced. By Ron Howard, yeah, and this has all happened very, very quickly. At least in terms of it, you know how it's played out publicly uh, on Wednesday. And can I just say that I'm glad that this happened before we recorded the podcast <laughs> for once. Um, on the Labour Let Go on Wednesday, the announcement was made on Wednesday. Today it is Thursday. Literally, as we came into the pod booth, uh, the news that Ron Howard, who was heavily rumoured to be linked with the role as a replacement, had indeed taken over. Now, in many ways, it's not unusual. Really, it's certainly not unheard of. It's not even really unusual for directors to be changed. But they've been shooting this since February. They've yeah. done a lot to now decide that it's got to such a point that they need to sub out the directors. Mm. It's a worry. Mm. Uh, yeah, and initially as well, I thought that this was a mutual consent thing, that it was very much like a like a football manager leaving a football club. Mm. And it's like, yeah, we think you've taken this far enough. And then the manager goes, yeah, I kind of have, actually. And then, then off they go. Uh, but subsequent stories indicate that it's not the case, necessarily. This is, a, this is a, a strange one. My sympathies obviously lie with Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They've been in the podcast. We've interviewed them loads over the years. They're really great guys. And I think they're funny and inventive incredibly creative and it has been reported that their sensibilities and this is only reports and rumours that their sensibilities which perhaps tend towards the more comedic and the more improvisational on set certainly uh, did not mesh well with others on the set namely some of the producers I was even Lawrence Kasdan is the co-writer of the movie Um, he's seen very much as the custodian of Han Solo in many many ways and 
that perhaps there was some friction there, um, and ultimately the decision was taken that they, to to let them go and replace him very very quickly, Ron Howard, who I think will be seen as a safe pair of hands with three mm. weeks of filming left to, to to do, plus whatever is left in terms of reshoots and additional shooting, because you'd imagine there will have to be a lot of that now. In comes Ron Howard. They want a safe pair of hands, someone they can trust. They've kind of ignored the fact that his last movie, Inferno, was probably the worst movie of last year. <laughs> and they're looking at someone who's just going to come in, old pro, bring us home, Ron. And Ron goes, yes, I will do that. Of course, there's a whole connection with Lucasfilm and George Lucas going back years. He directed Willow for Lucasfilm. Obviously, he was in American Graffiti. Mm. Uh, so you can see that. You've got to ask the question, though, not why did they get rid of Lord and Miller, but why did they hire Lord and Miller? Yeah. Because they bring a very specific improvisational, sort of quirky, comedic style to a film which I suspect was not written that way, knowing Lawrence Kasdan's work. But obviously, Lawrence and his son, John, worked on this together. In fact, it is the reason that Lawrence Kasdan came back to Star Wars. It's the reason why he joined the kind of Lucasfilm Illuminati to become part of their kind of story group. Mm-hmm. Um, he was lured in by the prospect of being able to do the solo movie, and he agreed to do Episode Seven only after that. Um, but I can imagine, I can absolutely imagine why they've been clashing. He's very, very hidebound when it comes to the written word, and they like to go nuts and freak <laughs> out and just make stuff up as they go along. Which is ironic, um, given, of course, that he did not write the most famous Han Solo line. <laughs> well, yes. Which was, which was not improvised on the day, no, but no. Was the, it came up the, they came up with it the day before. Yeah, Ford and Kirshner. I know yeah. the reply to Leia saying, I love you, and the Empress Strikes Back. Yeah. Kasdan didn't write that. No. And I'm, I'm surprised in many ways it's taken them this long to realise that this isn't... Mm you know, a viable working relationship that they're not going to put it together. What's quite interesting, though, is I was reading some stuff online about this, and they're saying, yeah, Lord and Miller are great, and I love them. I think they're fantastic. But I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I worry about this film full stop, but I worry about them for this film for the main reason that Han Solo is, to me, not a comedic character, and I don't think this should be a comedic film. I think Han Solo is a sarcastic character, and it's not the same thing, and I think... The humor comes out of it, but I mean, look, maybe I'm not giving them enough credit. You know, they, they, it's not like they lack for subtlety. I think they've probably got the skill to do it. But I think this needs to be played quite straight and leavened with humor, not played for humor. I think doing this as an out now comedy, but I don't, I don't get the impression that it was an out now comedy. I think that maybe they were pushing some of the comedy in, in various, again, we have no knowledge of no. this. This is absolute just speculation. Uh, they were maybe pushing the comedy and maybe upping it in certain scenes, but you can always start stuff like that back in the editing room, mm. and you can do additional shooting. Um, of course, on a, the previous standalone Star Wars movie, Rogue One, um, you know, another director was brought in quite late in the day in that one as well. Well, that's the um, other thing. People but, are saying this could be a really bad sign for the film. I mean, Rogue One made a lot of money, got mm. very good reviews, mm. and yet... Gareth Edwards was, for all intents and purposes, taken off the film and replaced by Tony Gilroy, if yeah. stories are to be believed. But this this is not the case here. They, they, you know, Lord and Miller aren't hanging on till the movie comes out and watching someone else come in and do it. And perhaps they 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 felt that they didn't want to stick around and let that happen. Mm. That they, you know, I think they're in a they're in a very very different place in terms of their standing within Hollywood. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they walked onto another huge movie tomorrow. Uh, they'll be fine. Mm. I think they'll be fine. I'm sad because we've talked about this movie quite a lot on the podcast. 
uh, about whether there's a need for this movie, about whether anyone apart from the, the Lawrence Kasdan and his son John, who also co-wrote the, the screenplay, and of course, you know, Kathy Kennedy at, at Lucasfilm. No one really knows what this movie's going to be. And no one really knows what this movie should be. But the fact that Lord Miller were on it was the main reason I was excited about it. Mm. I don't want a Han Solo movie, and I don't, I didn't, I didn't want one until they came aboard. And then suddenly I was like, oh, the guys who did the Lego movie, the guys who did Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs, the guys who did Twenty One Jump Street, and the rare thing, Twenty Two Jump Street, a comedy sequel that is better than the original. These guys know what they're doing, and they're going to take this character, and they're going to take this property, and they're going to reinvigorate it, and they're going to make it, they're going to make it work. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich, I thought was good casting. The cast were inspired. Uh, there was that really interest, just heartwarming image of all of them in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon when they announced uh, the filming had begun all those many months ago. Um, and I just feel it's a bit sad. The, the, the main reason I wanted to see this film has gone. Uh, and Ron Howard is a, is a fine director, uh, Inferno aside. Hmm. But I, I, I find it very hard to get excited about a Ron Howard-directed Han Solo movie. I think, honestly, I'm surprised they didn't hire Ron Howard to begin with. It's just... It strikes me that all of these films, they're not looking for sort of directors with a very, you know, salient style to kind of put their stamp on them. They are looking to stamp but, out but shouldn't they be? Star Wars movies. I don't know. Shouldn't I think, they be? They well, mean, it depends. If you're looking to make great, interesting new Star Wars films, yes. But you need to look at this. I mean, this is Disney and they're looking to make money. So they now know what works. And I think they want to adhere to that template as closely as possible. This is Star Wars. Yeah. You could argue that they could just film Chewbacca shitting into a bucket for 90 minutes and it would make one and a half billion dollars. I mean, you there, you know, There's I mean, evidence to support Most that. of it would be for me. I would be queuing up around the block. I'd be going multiple times. I'd buy the Blu-ray. The la- I'd, I'd bring laser discs back just to buy that. I would love that. Um, Taking a Kashyyyk. <laughs> um, Kashyyyk just got real. Um, but shouldn't these movies be the ones where they push the stylistic template? Shouldn't these movies be the ones where they're, they're taking the risks and letting directors like Gareth Edwards and... Uh, and Lord Miller and you know Josh Trank was attached to a movie beforehand mm-hmm. before everything blew up in Fantastic Four but shouldn't these be the movies there was a talk a few years ago of Zack Snyder with this very Seven Samurai-esque tale of Seven Jedi coming together and defending this home which is completely Seven Samurai but that with Jedi and Zack Snyder's unique visual sensibilities I'd be all over that um, I don't want all these movies to be cookie cutter. I don't want them all to come feel like they've come from the same mind. This isn't what this universe, for me, should be. Well, this is, of course, how this universe began. You know, in a lot of films that all came from the same mind, they weren't all directed by Lucas, but mm-hmm. they do have his stamp on them. And I think they want to hew as close to that as possible. And I kind of get it. I think if they were making a finite number of these things, maybe as they got towards the end, they could freak out a little bit and go a bit nuts. But they, you know, let's be honest, they want to keep these going as long as they can continue to make money out of them. Uh, I thought initially Force Awakens was a big deal. They needed that to land just right. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it kills the whole new franchise. Then there was Rogue One. They needed that to land just right because otherwise it potentially kills the spin-offs. Well, they need so, all of them to land right. Yes, but well, you'd think maybe like now that they're on safe footing, they might take some chances, but I think this shows that no, they are going to continue to be very cautious, mm. very careful, and they know what works and they will stick to that. So I don't think we're going to be seeing, you know, David Lynch step in to do an interpretative uh, <laughs> Jedi epic where it's Well, that's just, the thing. It's like you wonder about why... You know, and, and obviously on Twitter... I think a lot of people's sensibilities and sympathies lie with Lord and Miller. Uh, you know, this is very much this is very much a little bit more accelerated. Obviously, the Edgar Wright Marvel situation, mm. where most people sympathised with Edgar Wright, and you know, Marvel were painted as the evil corporation crushing a talented filmmaker's dreams. 
Um, and that's very much the same situation here. Obviously, much accelerated. This is five, three weeks from the end of filming and not two months before filming began, which was what happened in Ant-Man. And Ant-Man turned out very, very well. It is, as weirdly enough, one of my favorite Marvel movies. Um, I still would have loved to seen Edgar's version of it. Mm. Uh, but this is this is interesting. And you have to wonder, you know, our sympathies are with them. So many other filmmakers' sympathies are with them on Twitter. Uh, people like Paul Feig and Jordan Foyt Roberts have, have, have come out in support of them. But, you know, you have to look at it from Lucasfilm's point of view as well. Uh, maybe you do have these two Maverick filmmakers. You know, there's, you know, maybe they left a lens cap on for, for, for three months and no one noticed. Maybe, you know, they insisted on being in every shot. You know, there's, you don't know. We don't know. Maybe, we they, maybe they were actually, maybe they were struggling a little bit. And maybe, you know, this is a bit, a bit of a mercy for them. Who knows? We will, we will never know. But uh, it, it, it does feel a little bit sad for me. But you have to look at it from Lucasfilm's point of view. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and maybe this is the right decision for all parties. I it, it, I know what you mean, and I agree with you in that it's disappointing we'll never get to see what they did with this film. But I weirdly feel quite comfortable with Ron Howard doing it in that his sensibilities may be what this needs. I, I think because I'm so concerned that they're going to kill one of my favorite film characters. They're so they're so going they're going to we, 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 well, well we know that he dies anyway, but. <laughs> no, I mean, kill him body and soul. Like, go back, ruin his past, and therefore that leeches down and ruins the present. And I just, it, it bothers me. I think what the prequels did to Darth Vader, this could easily do to Han Solo. And I just, yeah. I really don't want to see that happen. And I think, you know, if it did become like, you know, 22 Naboo Street or whatever it was that they were going to do, <laughs> I, I, I just, that would destroy me. I don't think I'd survive it. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll this see. has not made me in any way worried for the film. It has not made me particularly sad. I'm sad for that Lord Miller won't get to do the film that they want to do. But um, I'm still, you know, I'm still Team Star Wars. Team Star Wars. Team Han. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so while, while we've been talking about this, another piece of big movie news has broken. Uh, confirmation that the Jurassic World sequel is going to be called Jurassic yes. World 2. It is not going to be called no. Jurassic World 2. What's it going to be called? Uh, it's going to be called Jurassic World colon Dawn of Justice <laughs> Fallen Kingdom Fallen Kingdom Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom hmm now what does that mean what does that indicate it means it's going to be a kingdom and it's going to fall but what is a kingdom Jimbo is it going to be is it going to be Isla Nublar or Isla Sorna or is it going to be are they going to come to the, you know, the city? Isla Fishar. Is, <laughs> um, is Isla Fishar going to fall at long last? It's hard to say. At the hands of a really, really smart velociraptor. I'm not, I'm not wild about it. I'm not going to lie. Um, I don't really understand what it means or what it refers to, but Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. Jurassic Fallen World, Kingdom. Kingdom. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is set for release on June 22nd, 2018. And after that bit of live scintillating reaction to something, uh, here's other news. Downton Abbey, the movie, is to begin production in 2018. I know. You must be... I imagine you're actually quite excited about this, you big weirdo. <laughs> I mean, I'd be more excited if if I had paid more attention during the final season of Downton Abbey. Because um, <laughs> I, I watched it and really enjoyed it. And then, all, I don't know, I just, I just got a bit bored towards the end because a lot of the people I liked had kind of went in anymore and I was a bit like, mm, yeah. So, but I started randomly re-watching the first series again Uh about a month ago, and it's 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 strangely compelling. It really is. Yeah. So yes, I will definitely go and see this. Um, they have said that uh, lots of people will be returning for this. It's it's very exciting. Do you think that they'll um, bring Dan Stevens back from the dead? No, 
flashbacks. Oh, flashbacks, yes. I don't know. Yes. Let's bring everyone back. You played Matthew? You played Matthew, Matthew, yes. there we go. Sybil okay. could come back from there. They could have zombies in it. Is, it could be like Downton Abbey and zombies. And Pride and Prejudice and zombies. Yes. Which had Lily James you in could it. could have Sibby back from the dead and, and Matthew back from the dead and, you know. Okay. Could yeah. Be, could, I don't know. I, quite, I want to see what Mr. Carson's been up to, you know, in his dotage. In his retirement, in his cottage. Which one's Mr. Carson? Mr. Carson. I've the, the never seen Downton Abbey. You, you were on a plane with Mr. Carson. You saw him reading a Jack Jim Richard Carter. Book. Yes. Deja Vu from uh, Top Secret. <laughs> yes. Amazing. Um, and, but Thomas, of course, has taken over as butler since Mr. Carson retired, and that was a bit of a shock. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Uh, Jim Carter, of course, can be heard in this week's Transformers The Last Night as Cogsman. Yeah, maybe O'Brien will come back. We've not seen her since, I think, Series 2. Well, I mean, uh, one can only hope. So many questions, Chris, so many questions. Well, I'm glad someone's excited about that. That's, that's good. Uh, there's some more news that we're going to have to rip through quickly. I would say one of the things we should definitely talk about is there's some Star Trek news. Yes, I was going to say that. Um, we have our very first look at Jason Isaacs as the doomed captain on Star Trek. Captain soon to be dead, probably in episode four. You don't I would know say. that. I don't know that, but come on. Come on. Does that look like a man who's going to be hanging around in episode eight? No, it doesn't. He looks, he looks stern. He looks like he's got a little bit of self-awareness. It's basically Jason Isaacs in a blue onesie. But yeah, I'm not wild like, about the uniform. It's a bit, it's no. a bit Navi. It, well, you like the Navi. I do like the Navi. I just don't think they should be on the bridge of the you know, Starfleet vessel. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Gabriel, we you know, Gabriel Lorca. Um, it's interesting to see him on that. There are a lot of, there are a lot of problems with Star Trek Discovery, if uh, if one is a Trekkie. And part of it is the setting. So this is the prime Star Trek universe, not the alternate Star Trek universe. So it doesn't take place in the film's universe, it takes place in the TV series universe. Mm-hmm. But it takes place 10 years before Kirk and Spock's five-year mission on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. However, the Enterprise was around 10 years before Kirk and Spock's mission into the original Star Trek because Spock's been on it since before Kirk. Kirk wasn't the original captain. There'd been Pike before him. And I believe there was a captain, was it April? I forget. Uh, there was a captain before Pike as well. So that's slightly confusing. Also, the aesthetics of the bridge don't really fit with the original series Enterprise, that kind of yeah. era. They feel a bit more like the Franklin from beyond, which is A, a different era, and B, a different timeline. So that's problematic right oh, off the bat. Yeah, I couldn't sleep last night. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, it's, this is a lot of serious issues I here. I was thinking to myself, are they going to bring Matthew back? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Or Sybil. Uh, Captain <laughs> Captain Sybil. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, it seems an odd thing to do. I think, I mean, I get, I think, why they set it in the Prime Universe. But if, I mean, and I think we've talked about this before, I want to know what happens in the Prime Universe post-Deep Space Nine. I'm not really that interested in what happened in the Prime Universe 10 years prior to the original series. Mm. But if they chose that timeline in the alternate universe, hey, mm-hmm. but then the alternate universe wasn't an alternate universe until it became an alternate universe, which had been after this time point. So, I've so lost you, haven't I? I am absolutely bored. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying to me. Uh, okay, but... well, I'll, I'll, one other piece of information which might be useful is we also have a d- <laughs> we also have a date for this series uh, finally as well. So it is uh, going to debut on Sunday, the 24th of September on CBS in the States. We're oh, going to get nice. it on Netflix, I think, within 24 hours. That's my wedding uh, anniversary. Is it now? Which gives me this week's chance to mention my wife. And is this your wedding anniversary in the Prime Universe or the <laughs> alternate universe? Uh, in whatever universe, I, I'm lucky enough to have paid someone to masquerade as my wife. Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, that timeline makes more sense. Uh, so that's very, very exciting. There's something to, uh, to, to watch on our anniversary. 
so Damon Lindelof's going to be rebooting Watchmen for HBO yes indeed uh, I am excited about this obviously this uh, I think uh, you know what I haven't seen as many Damon Lindelof sucks uh, jokes on Twitter <laughs> As you would normally have expected, and I think a large part of that is that the leftovers have rehabilitated Damon Lindelof's reputation yeah. uh, almost completely, mm. I would say. Uh, Damon Lindelof is a smart dude, and he gets it, and I don't necessarily think that you can always lay the blame for the things that have gone wrong. On the people that made the things. <laughs> I don't think you can blame Prometheus on him. No, I don't think you can either. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, he was, he was on the ship. Yes, but did he drive into the iceberg? Partially, yes. But mostly. And if Covenant teaches us anything, <laughs> it's that we should forgive Damon Lindelof for Absolutely. Prometheus. And Watchmen, um, I think, is the this is the, the, the right uh, vessel for HBO, TV, couple of hours, extended 10 episodes, and you can really get into the stuff thematically, you can get into the, the minutiae, great. But is that what they're doing? You know, is it going to be you know, a one-shot-and-done retelling of the Watchmen story? Because the Watchmen story is not really an ongoing concern. It's a contained narrative with a very specific story arc to it. It was. Well, yeah. Um, so what's this going to be? I mean, they've done, uh, they've done comics, haven't they? They've done, uh, was it uh, before Watchmen comics they did recently? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They may even still be going. So they've, they've, well, they've explored the characters and in they're now detail. bringing those characters into the DC uh, universe, yeah, uh, which so I know has rubbed a lot of people up the wrong way. Maybe they're going to touch on that. So is it going to be about the Watchmen, or I should say the Minutemen, depending on whether they call them the Watchmen or the Minutemen in this? Because yep. obviously... They mix that around well, in the movie. we don't know at the moment, but one of the things about Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' uh, graphic novel is it has all sorts of detours and, mm. and lots of uh, stuff in the appendices that you can deep dive into. Uh, that The Zack Snyder movie, which I really, really like, uh, the Zack Snyder movie, uh, but it couldn't really get into them that much. I love I love the Zack Snyder movie. I think it's, uh, I think it's the best thing he's ever done. I, I think it's, it's really good. Um... I'm a big fan of the the graphic novel as well. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this. I don't feel bad about it. I mean, it's an HBO show. That's normally cause for celebration. And yeah, no, it depends on the budget. It depends on so many things. It depends on the angle they take. But cautiously optimistic. Cautiously is how optimistic. I would label myself. Um, yeah. So we, yeah, we're going to keep an eye on that one. Wish them all the best. Uh, right, that's it for movie news. I think pretty much, isn't it? Oh, they're making another triple X film. Let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about that. Uh, all right, so it's time then for this week's guest. Uh, Colin Trevorrow is a director. He's been on the podcast before. He was on the podcast with his very first movie, Safety Not Guaranteed, a few years ago. And I think back then, neither he nor we could have predicted what was going to happen to him. He obviously got the gig directing Jurassic World, which became the fourth biggest movie of all time. He is currently hard at work on pre-production on Star Wars Episode Nine, which I'm sure he won't relax about until he's finished, completely, uh, finished <laughs> filming now. Um, but in between that, he directed a film called The Book of Henry, which is out this week, and it is about a child genius who affects the lives of those around him in an unexpected ways. Now, this movie, just to give this some context, has been given an absolute mauling by people. Uh, there has been a critical pylon on this film with a lot of people deciding that it is the worst film of the year. 23% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and some of the reviews are truly, I mean, people just trying to outdo the previous review in terms of how uh, uh, creative they can be with their vitriol. Uh, I think that, personally, I think that is, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in a few minutes, personally, I don't think the film warrants that, um, 
But I was certainly intrigued this week. I went along with Nick DeSemlian to talk to Colin Trafaro about all sorts of things. And we did ask him about the reviews, what it's like to be in the eye of a storm like this. Uh, and his answers were very, very interesting and very candid indeed. And I hope you enjoy the interview. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by Colin Trafaro. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, how 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 have things been? How's your how's your week been? I just noticed that I hesitated when I said well. I was yeah. like, I'm uh, uh, yeah. well. Uh, I'm a little disoriented. Uh, I'm I'm back here in England uh, where I've lived for the past year, so I'm I'm actually much more comfortable here now uh, than I am in America, which is a strange phenomenon for me. <laughs> Are you a, an Anglophile now? I, I'm slowly becoming. I mean, I have my whole family here, and uh, you know, we've really uh, adapted to life uh, quite well. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know. We'll see if we ever go back. Have you had fish and chips? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah, probably too many. My Stay daughter is, is it's, all, it's pretty much all she'll eat and, uh, at this point, but it's fun to hear them. You know, they've been in, in, a, in a UK school for a year to s- hear them start saying trousers and, and picking <laughs> up. On, it's, it's adorable. What's the most British thing you've done? While you've been here, have you voted to leave Europe? Have you have you seen the Queen? What, what have you done? We arrived the day that Brexit happened, so it was on the on the news in the so airport your fault. when we arrived. It is our fault. <laughs> um, no, we did. We where did we go? We we recently you know, we went up to we went to Warwick Castle and or Warwick. Yes, right. Yes. Sorry about that. Uh, and just there was there's something that would you know that as a theme park compared to what our theme parks are like in America, uh, it was so legit and, and so great. And I know it's supposedly very touristy, but we're sitting there watching these these great you know classically trained actors perform uh, you know this incredible story of you know the House of York, and uh, they were they were so completely committed. And my kids in there you know cheering for his side, and I love that kind of theme park. It was the coolest. <laughs> So what's what's the year last year been like then for you? Have you been splitting your your time between that little known indie film you're about to do next mm. and Book of Henry or No, there wasn't a lot of Book of Henry actually because you know that okay. I had to do that film right after Jurassic was uh done in order to be able to get it done. So we went and we shot it in the fall okay. uh, right after the film came out uh, and then I finished it last summer. Uh and so this year has been yeah, splitting my time uh between my my new job and uh making sure that that uh, Mr. Bayona has everything that he needs, all the tools uh, to get this done right. Is it hard to let a film go when, you, when you've got it in the can and it's waiting to be released? Is it difficult to not wake up in the middle of the night thinking of something that you want to do to it? I, I think I had so many other uh, requirements of my brain that I, I don't think there was any room. I had to just compartmentalize it and set it aside. Uh, the The challenge of the fall was was getting that script into shape and and you know the, the amount of time that you have to spend in advance on a Jurassic movie because especially since we use more animatronics in the movie the challenge of that is that you have to lock the design uh, beforehand if, if you're making a, a dinosaur in a computer you can tweak that up until you know April uh, of the following year but uh, you know we, we did make a lot of new dinosaurs and I and I, I built into the film the, the possibility for us to have more because I know what you need you know they can't run uh, they're pretty much just heads necks and feet whenever you see them in these movies and <laughs> You get the impression that they're building these giant dinosaurs, but they're somewhat limited. And so we, we created ways that uh, we can use many more, which uh, I think it changes the, the 
feeling of the film, as you can imagine. But, um, I, you know, I, I was there every day on set for, you know, for the first several months uh, with my backpack and my laptop just at his service uh, and, and Belen Atenzia, his producer, uh, making sure that they had everything they need. And it, that was a, a different experience. I've never been the on-set writer for a movie. Um, and it wasn't necessarily humbling because I, I don't really get too up in my head about anything. So I was already coming in there, uh, you know, as a servant to what we were doing. You didn't find yourself backseat directing, sliding up to J.A. and going, hey, just a little bit higher. If you could just please. No, I didn't because that J.A. Uh, is great at what he does. And, and uh, you know, his his style is is so distinct and so specific that for me to project my own uh, instincts onto his, I think, would, would be uh, counterproductive. But, uh, you know, I did have a feeling on the very first day when I was standing at the monitor and realized that I, I could go, you know, get a bagel and nobody would notice uh, and <laughs> that was oh I, okay I, they don't need i'm just gonna step out for a minute uh but no i i, I can't think of uh, thus far there hasn't been a more rewarding creative experience of my life than uh, collaborating with jay bayon on that movie uh so is he the driver behind more animatronics or is that something that did you arrived at with him or that was something i built into the story and i know that he obviously was was interested in yeah. so I, I would say we're we're both drivers behind it but uh you know, I, I just wanted to, you know, create scenarios that we could have these tactile uh, interactions with the animals uh, that I knew he would execute beautifully. And, and, you know, he was we were we were both motivated to do it as much as we could. And uh, before we get on to Book of Henry, is that something that you will be put into place? Also, this, this emphasis on the practical, on the animatronics, on Star Wars Episode Nine, the rise of the Skywalkers? Is that, Wait a minute. Is that... <laughs> Have I just, have I just <laughs> have hit the nail wait, on the head? I thought it was Dawn of the Skywalkers. <laughs> Dawn yeah, of the you Skywalkers. You guys have to agree first and then... <laughs> we'll come back no, it's War of the Planet back. of the Skywalkers. That's, that's what go. it is. That's what it is. Is that something you're going to be doing? <laughs> well, that's just built into, uh, you know, into the infrastructure of the way these movies are made. You know, uh-huh. we have, we have a, a creature shop over at Lucasfilm uh, and over at Pinewood that uh, is manufacturing the most uh, spectacular uh, creatures in the form of, you know, robotics, puppetry, uh, masks, uh, many different ways of, of uh, creating, uh, you know, practical effects uh, that are pretty unprecedented. And what's, what's amazing, and I say that not because uh, we haven't been doing this for many years, but it's amazing to see new technologies being applied to the old technologies and yeah. things that that used to be limited uh, no longer being limited and that's what that's what's most amazing to me so uh, yeah uh, so we may see real lightsabers perhaps in episode 9 Jabba's I, Revenge I reveal nothing you can get every time you say it you have to come up with a new title and that's part of the, that's part of this podcast now alright if I can do that every single time every single time a different time you'll tell us how it ends Jedi world <laughs> on the record okay um, can we talk about what, what you're going through right now yeah. at the moment because uh the reactions to this movie have been, by and large, as far as I can see, completely disproportionate. Mm. Uh, and it feels to me like the people, there's a bit of a pylon mm. with you at the well, Disproportionate with? Uh, in terms of you know the, the reaction to the movie and right. critical re- reaction to the film. Right. Um, and you know, almost, you're in a, in a way almost like a human pinata at the moment. Do you, uh-huh. do you feel that? I mean, what's it like being on the, on the inside of a storm like this at the moment? Um, it, it's, it's a little heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. You know, without getting too personal, uh, and I think it's just because, 
you know, it, it came to us as a bit of a shock because we had screened this movie to so many people uh, and we'd had reactions from so many people that uh, we felt we knew what we had and we knew how it was affecting the audience. And mm. that actually hasn't changed. It affects audiences in the same way that we thought it would. Uh, we did not anticipate uh, that, you know, level of 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 vitriolic dislike for the film. Uh, and, you know, in the end, you know, do I want to be somebody who can please both audiences and critics? Absolutely. So, uh, is, is that hugely disappointing? Uh, it is. Um, I, I do stand by the movie. Like I, I think that it's, uh, it, I mean, I just know it's something I'm, I'm very proud of and everyone who made it is very proud and all of the producers who worked with me on the film and all of the actors, you know, we, we believe in what we're doing and, and what I'm not going to do is, is claim that, you know, there was some kind of pylon motivated by anything, you know, but their like or dislike for the film. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a very straightforward person and, mm-hmm. and I, I have to sort of take everything at face value. I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, at least when it comes to things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I may have underestimated uh, is how my visibility uh, as somebody who is responsible for uh, really two things that uh, we all care about very deeply and are, are massive parts of, of our of our public consciousness and our our kind of shared mythology how that level of visibility would shine a spotlight on this in a way that uh, I hadn't considered uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when I set out to do it. You know, yeah. I went to make a film that is narratively experimental, yeah. that uh, is allows me to face my fears as a filmmaker that is extremely ambitious and, and complex in what it attempts to do. And also a film that very clearly works uh, potently for many uh, and then, then does not work potently for many others. Uh, and that's just... That's that's just the reality of it. Like you talk about a love or hate movie. Uh, I feel like it did get a disproport, a little bit disproportionate as far as the balance of love and hate. And uh-huh. that's what surprised me. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there was no one in the middle. Like if you, and if you look on Twitter, you look on, you know, people who have seen the film, my, my, the one thing that I did love and, and I try not to read too much, but my wife, brought me this thread and she, she goes into the, she goes deep a little bit sometimes. And I try to tell her not to, but she brought me a thread from like a star Wars forum. And it was this guy who, uh, was like making the case to all the other Star Wars fans, like this this movie is terrible. Like this guy must be stopped. And he's talking about he's talking about it's like he must be stopped. And then he's like, and then at the very end he's like, actually my I took my wife and my two kids, you know, to go see the movie. It's it was pretty great. I, I really I really liked it. And like it was it was it was not what I expected. And so like I would at least ask like anyone, please go see the movie. Yeah. Like you know go go see the movie and and recognize that you know there's there was a lot of thought and care put into uh, to telling the story it's kind of sad to me that you know it's the summer movie season where almost everything that comes out is a sequel or a remake or everything plays it safe and it's sad to me that your film which doesn't play it safe at all and is original is the one that's kind of singled out yeah that's unfortunate but i i couldn't i can't blame that on anything but the film like if you know i think if if people loved the film then then it would be the other way around and and you know i i clear although i feel like in england just having read some of the reviews i feel i feel like it's not quite the same here like yeah. it's a different set of reactions which really has it's been a pleasant surprise because I kind of needed it uh, so I may just stay here uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I, it was really nice to uh, to get a different uh, perspective on it. and I think especially after that initial uh, you know that initial you know set of reactions which were were uh, you know based 
on the way that that uh, the studio presented the movie, I think that it also it had this sense that we were hiding the movie because it didn't you mm-hmm. know we we didn't want to uh, let reviews drop till after our premiere, which was on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it sort of like created you know mm-hmm. like it was a lot of pressure that built up in the gun, uh, and so you know when it ultimately went down, it was of course all at once. But you know just to, if we can just have fun with it for a moment, just so you guys can know what it's like to to be in my position mm. you know i i come back we had this beautiful premiere on the wednesday night and mark came which was great and, and you know i you know mark hamill meets jacob tremblay and so we have these like moments that i see this you know this little kid light up and hugely satisfying for me it's at a film festival and like a lot of young filmmakers who are coming up and, and i love that stuff and i go to sleep i wake up in the morning and i read you know the first couple reviews uh and my heart sinks and then i have to do two hours worth of phone radio interviews oh my and it's like the morning radio is like college of our here traffic and together we're like the book of henry and and i have to <laughs> to give that interview and and uh you know that one uh, that was a challenge That's i mean a bit of whiplash there yeah absolutely i mean but i, I think most filmmakers go through it at some ex- to, at some point in their careers uh steven spielberg went through mm-hmm. it obviously with 1941 quite mm-hmm. early in his career after you know after a huge smash suddenly landed in 1941 did you did you have you asked him for advice on how to get through something like this i mean i know this is obviously tough to talk about but yeah you know he, uh, not specifically with this right now yeah. but uh he is, you know, we've definitely had those conversations in the past. And I think everybody, everybody in that family, you know, Kathy and Frank and Steven, everyone who uh, lived through the era where they didn't have Rotten Tomatoes. And like, I don't think any of us realized <laughs> that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was not received well mm. at the time. Like, yeah. that's that's unthinkable to us. Mm. But if they'd had Rotten Tomatoes at the time, it wouldn't have gone well. Mm. Uh, and and uh, I think there's, you know, you'd read your local review. I was in San Francisco, so we had the Chronicle and they had that system of the clapping man. I don't know if you've ever seen that guy. Uh, but that was all I ever knew was whether uh, this little man was clapping, sitting up straight and watching asleep or if he'd left. Uh, which is the worst thing. The empty chair is the worst you could get. The empty uh, chair. And, wow. and even like the child in me still judges my films on what uh, what the Chronicle says. And I've gotten two guys sitting up and clapping and then Book of Henry, I, I managed a guy sitting up straight and watching. I think his eyes were a little further open because he was just shocked. But uh, as long as I can stay away from the empty chair, mm. we're going to be all right. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think they you know they've all been through uh, you know movies yeah. that didn't land with critics as well as they wanted them to, and and in some cases those films uh, you know found a little bit more understanding in in later years, and and I hope I'm not going to say this is some kind of movie of the future, and this is like you know you know the new sound you're looking for. Listen to this. <laughs> it's it's not that, uh, but I you know I I do I do believe believe in what I did, and yeah. I hope that as people see it, uh, some of that will become evident. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing about that. I mean, I, I was having a discussion on on Twitter. Uh, around this last night with uh, with someone and we were talking about you know I think people's attitudes towards you in particular and mm-hmm. part of it obviously stems from the fact as you said you have Jurassic World you have Star Wars um, and you come from an, this indie background you go from straight from Satan Not Guaranteed into Jurassic World uh, and that maybe that has created some sort of bubble around you sure but what are you going to do? turn down Jurassic World? I mean, that's that's something you're not going to do as a, as a filmmaker. No, and you know, there, I think there's a lot of uh, filmmakers who've been offered, you know, similar kinds of, yeah. of leaps uh, who have taken them and, and, you know, for the most part, I think have, have handled, you know, that extraordinary pressure really well. Uh, you know, the thing that's, you know, while we're just sitting, no one's really listening, so you and I, we can all be honest with each other. <laughs> but, you know, I think the thing that's hardest for me is that, 
you know, I, I have a very small group of friends that I keep very close. And, and the thing that all of them say to me the most is like, man, I, there's this character I read about on Twitter. There's this person and it's not you. And, and yet, uh, it, it seems that this person exists and I, I don't know how it came here. Like, how did we reach this point where people think that this is you and uh, that, that you, that you might not have, you know, such, such, you know, absolute, every minute I don't uh, that you don't feel grateful uh, mm-hmm. and that every part of your energy isn't put toward uh, you know delivering to the to the utmost extent and and also to like challenging yourself and not resting on your laurels and trying to be different uh, and that's the thing that's hard for me is there have just been so many moments throughout the past couple of years where you know either via you know a mistake that I've made or something that I've said that that has painted a portrait of myself that uh, that it just does it isn't me and it doesn't feel like me and and those are the times when I've gotten most frustrated with myself not with anyone else is how you know how could you how could you make people you know feel that this is you when you when you know that it isn't mm. you idiot <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with Spielberg now are, are you past a point a point I think I would still be at even if I'd worked with him for a couple of years I would just be paralyzed with fear in the room with Steven Spielberg I'd be going everything I say could be potentially really stupid are, are you w- w- what point are you at with him now are you beyond the initial nerves I am in that I, I don't, I'm not afraid of saying things that are completely stupid. Okay, that's good. Because uh, good. I've found that, you know, I think he's the same way and that's how you end up with, I mean, I'm looking at the cover of your magazine with, you know, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones on the cover. Mm. You know, the only way that things like that can happen is with uh, a mind that is willing to to make crazy choices and be wrong uh, and then every, you know when it's right it's really really right and so you know where I'm coming from and, and even if it's a whole movie like yeah like I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep making crazy choices because I'm going for that idea that's really really right yeah. uh, and and sometimes the uh, the side effect the unfortunate side effect <laughs> is you could be really really wrong well, we have a model in Empire, which uh, in immediate is, is there are no bad ideas, which is something I, I'm constantly trying to challenge. Uh, yeah, no, I think there are. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> there, there I think there are, but like, if you have nine bad ideas and one of them is great, it was worth uh, yeah. trudging through the nine. Absolutely. That's about the ratio with us. <laughs> I, think, I think it's probably the ratio with everyone. I think that's the surprising thing, even with somebody like Steven, is I'm not saying that his ideas are bad. Let's make sure that that's not <laughs> quoted, but you'd, you'd be surprised, uh, you know, how how much a part of the process is just throwing stuff out and like, what about this? This is what my crazy child brain just came up with. Mm. And like, let's try that. And time and iteration will tell if that's actually worthy of going all the way to the screen, Mm. but you shouldn't edit that out because that's where the stuff comes from. That's why a lot of people just like do drugs and I'm not endorsing that, but you know, that, that opens up that, that channel in your brain. We edit ourselves because we're so afraid of sounding stupid all the time. And I think that if we've learned anything from the past week, I'm not afraid of looking (laughs) stupid. I think we've learned anything in the past five and a half years of the Empire podcast. Neither are we. So it's all good. Uh, And the very last thing is we we can't let you go without getting one tidbit about Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh, Chewbacca Boogaloo, ah, which I believe is the new working title. That was my uh, favorite of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how will we find out finally how tall Supreme Leader Snoke is? <laughs> That's what you want to know. That's what of I want to know. All of the this things. This is not an official Empire question. Just point that out. Yeah, this is from yeah. Chris's brain. No, I, I can I can literally tell you nothing, but I, I can tell you, uh, you know, I, I 
I'm very excited for us to to all go see Ryan's film. Uh, and unfortunately, Ryan's film is the first one that I won't be able to watch uh, as an audience member. Right. I, I got that privilege with Force Awakens. I just got to go see it uh, yeah, yeah. like a, with a Star Wars fan. I got to sit there next to my kid and uh, and just like giggle as we read the crawl because we were so excited. Uh, and, and, and and you know, Rogue One was the same way. Like, I didn't see that in advance. And and that time has ended now. Uh, Star Wars is no longer. Uh, that experience for me. And if there's anything that's kind of sad about it is that I don't, I don't get to have that, but I wouldn't trade it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Colin, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been fantastic. Thank you for being so honest as well. And, uh, and best of luck with um, episode nine. Luke is Ray's dad. <laughs> no, no, not going for that either. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, Colin Tafaro there, and uh, we should start off then, Jimbo. Now only I've seen, I've seen, only I've seen the Book of Henry, and only I have seen uh, Transformers: The Last Night in this room. Other people have seen it uh, as well. But you tell you what, we've only got a few minutes left. You ask me questions, and I will answer them. But I will say this first: for people saying that the Book of Henry is terrible, a one-star catastrophe, it is not that. Uh, and I said a couple of weeks ago that it's not even the worst film out this month. Uh, the Transformers last, the last night has ensured that The Book of Henry isn't even the worst film out this week. So, have at it. Ask me, tell me, ask me about them both. We uh, have... let, let's start with The Book of Henry. It sounds insane. Is well, it yeah. insane? The thing, I, I, I like The Book of Henry. Uh, I didn't love it. I don't think it's the best film ever made. I think it is okay. I, uh, I don't think it's the worst film ever made. But I was surprised by how strange it is and how offbeat it is and the number of left-field turns it takes. It is about this child genius, played by Jared Lieberherr, who will be seen in Stephen King's It soon as well. Is he in Stranger Things? Uh, you ask a good question. All of those children in Stranger Things, their names blend together for me. <laughs> but So let me ask you this. So is this film, in fact, about a child genius mm-hmm. who instructs his mother how to kill a paedophile with a sniper rifle? Well, yes, it is. Uh, It is not the film... The film that you get is not the film that I was expecting when I went in. I thought it was going to be absolute straight down the middle, very, very sentimental tale. I didn't even really know... I knew nothing about it going in. Uh, I didn't even really know it was about a child genius, necessarily. And the first half of this movie is probably what you would expect... And the second half of the movie goes into batshit crazy detour country uh, from a script by Greg Hurwitz, who's a man who writes batshit and science scripts. He wrote one, a spec script that was sold a few years ago called Expulsion, in which <laughs> in which a small part of the world, the world is destroyed, the earth is destroyed, and in the the uh, maelstrom, in the, uh, the a part of the earth that contains the President of the United States of America and a team of SWAT, <laughs> SWAT guys, is flung into deep space and travels at the speed of light and lands on another planet. And there they have to go through all sorts of trials and tribulations. I must see this film. Uh, the script is out there. It is bonkers. And the Book of Henry is like that. It goes into places you don't expect. Uh, I've seen people compare this movie in reviews to Birdemic and The Room. And they say it's truly lamentable and horrible. And uh, it is not. It's it's decently made. It's got good performances. Uh I don't. I honestly, I do not see how this film is uh, is uh, unwatchable, or I don't see how it's some sort of camp bad classic. Maybe it's just me. Who knows? But uh, I certainly think that there's a there's a there's a thing with Trevorrow that people are piling on him. Uh, that maybe you know they they feel he didn't get he didn't earn the Jurassic World gig. No one knew the Jurassic World was going to be the hit mm. it was, or that maybe he didn't earn the Star Wars gig. 
Um, and maybe they're getting a little bit angry. Do you think that. this is mob mentality? Because it does yeah, feel it like one person start the boot in and then everyone has gone. I mean, the, the, the oh, hyperbole yeah. is off the chain. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's crazy. I saw one review lament the fact that it was, it's over long. It's 105 minutes. It's, it's not over long. That's, yeah, I, I welcome movies at 105 minutes. You want over long? Try a two and a half hour movie about giant robots in which I, you have not a single clue what is happening. We'll get to that one. We'll get to that one. So, Book of Henry, we can't talk too much about the plot because it does no, seem like there's stuff that happens that you don't want to know about going yep. in. Do, you, is it, do we recommending it? Are we saying people should see it? We gave it three stars, yep. which is we always say in the podcast, is a recommendation. I know a lot of people who don't think it's three stars. I think it's it's in the three part three star ballpark. Uh you know, a lot of people will go and see it just to laugh at it and 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 uh, point things and point at the screen. And uh, I feel it it warrants a little bit more than that. And I think it's a movie that maybe in a few years' time people might reevaluate. Not to say it's a classic Benny Stretch's imagination because it isn't, but it's an interesting film, and I don't think it deserves the opprobrium that's been uh, thrown its way. Either way, it sounds like it's a film that people will be talking about. So yes, indeed. Go and see Three it, stars, then for the Book of Henry. And segueing from that to the worst film out this week. This is fine. I usually do this bit. Yeah, well, you know, we're mixing it up. It's a different yeah. dynamic this week. Transformers. Tell us about Transformers The Last Night, a film that I was going to go with you to see, but then thought there must be something, <laughs> anything else in my life I could do that wasn't that. But isn't it interesting that we've got to this point with the Transformers franchise? Because I remember being incredibly excited. You know, we grew up with Transformers. Yeah. My mum was a Transformer. Um, and I was hugely excited about the first movie when it came out in 2007. And I remember the excitement in the cinema when, when people started to watch the, the multimedia when Optimus Prime arrived on Earth and went, my name is Optimus Prime. People went, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God, Jared Optimus Prime. But there was so much nostalgia at work. You know, in many ways, CGI was created to show giant robots hitting each other. I mean, there was so much to be done. But I think Bay has managed to squeeze every drop of goodwill and grind it out of audience members. Although several people that I know swear by these films, love them. Uh, yeah. One I, person I'm sure you know I'm talking about, I'm thinking in particular, loves the Transformers films, thinks they're perfect cinema. I don't That's know who mental. Think, I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, okay. Who, genuinely, I don't. Who, oh, fine. Who you talk, it's someone we know. It, it's, it's a publicist, one of the publicists. Oh, really? Who, we talk, who oh, does I not, do who does not work on the Transformers yes. films, yes. but has an insane love for them. Yeah. Well, the thing about the Transformers movies is I don't think there's a modern franchise that has uh, suffered more or is a greater illustration of the law of diminishing returns mm. than this franchise. Every movie has got has been demonstrably worse than its predecessors. Transformers, the first one, I like. Yeah. I think it is a fun popcorn film. It has some flaws. I think it's uneven. Probably, you get, it's uneven, obviously. You could take out the whole stuff with John Foyt and yes. Josh Duhamel and, yes. and you could just lose and that stuff. <laughs> I like John Turturro, uh, which he's in this movie for like five minutes as well. Second one was was worse. Third one was worse still. The fourth one was god awful. Thank God for Stanley Tucci. The second one was one with a giant robot bollocks, wasn't it? A giant robot yeah. bollocks. Revenge of the Revenge of the Fallen. Revenge of the Fallen, yeah. uh, which is where. And then there was Prime the Pink Shotguns, Floyd one as well. Dark of the Moon. Yeah. And then Age of Extinction. Mm, which, and, had dinosaurs. which had dinosaurs. And Titus Welliver's face, as his warrant. My face is my warrant, which is the greatest line of that year, and it had Stanley Tucci being brilliant. Yeah. Uh, other than that, it had nothing to recommend it. This doesn't really even have anything to recommend it. This is The Last Night. This is, for me, by a country mile, the worst Transformers film. It is, so far, uh, the worst film I've seen this year, and I'm including Baywatch in that. <laughs> uh, it is absolutely god-awful. It is a new low in action movie making which is so weird because Bay knows his way around uh, an action set piece and here you just almost feel a palpable disinterest mm. 
Has he given up? I mean, this is quite literally the new Baywatch. Yeah. But have you, um, have you, has he given up at this point? It does feel that way. I mean, obviously it would be harsh for us to say that on his behalf. He's not here to speak for himself. Um, but it does feel, I mean, they're, they're pushing the, the, the quick cutting bay style to its absolute apex here. And things are so quick cut, people will be standing in a room one minute and then the next scene there, somewhere else entirely. The dialogue is non, just nonsensical drivel that people just yell at each other. The plot is so unfocused and so incoherent that I imagine the three credited screenwriters on it were fighting. You know, no, you take the credit. No, no, you take the credit. No, no, no. They, they put together a team of some of the greatest writers, or some of the best writers, or some. Of, they put together a team of writers uh, to try and come up with the, this movie and the next movie beyond that and the spin-offs. And you just wonder. It does feel. It does feel like it's been made in the piecemeal fashion. That you maybe have this writer writing this bit, and you have this writer writing that line, and uh, King Arthur's in it, and. It has Nazis and it has things that you know, plot developments that are so bizarre and bonkers. And I've just kind of lauded the Book of Henry for for going in different directions and not doing things you'd expect. And this is a Transformers movie that starts in the world of King Arthur with Stanley Tucci uh, as a drunk Merlin teaming up with Autobots to fight off invaders, <laughs> and it has. Anthony Hopkins breaking into 10 Downing Street and telling the Prime Minister of Great Britain to shut up, shut up, shut up, while threatening with a watch that, and I quote, killed Hitler. And <laughs> and you're thinking just, it should be the greatest movie ever made. It's so insane. I should be loving every second of it, but it is just a drudgery. It, it beats you over the head. It is relentless. Enough now, I think, isn't it? Just enough now with this. Stop it. Go back. Where's you know? Where's the new Bad Boys? Where's the Rock? Where's Armageddon? No, I know. I love Michael Bay. We were stuff. talking about this the other yes. day. You really like Thirteen uh, I, Hours. I, yes, I thought actually Thirteen Hours was surprisingly good. It was really tense, very full on. I, I really enjoyed it. It's not perfect, and the yeah. politics of it are problematic. But you know, I love that. I love his nineties films. I enjoy Pearl Harbor. You know, Bad Boys Two is a great action sequel. The Island is. I, a film, um, I, you know. I would, I would quibble with you on at least two of those points you just made. What, Pearl well, Har- the island Pearl is a film. Pearl, well, the island is a film. That is that's demonstrably true. Uh, Pearl Harbor is terrible, it's and Bad Boys Two is awful. Pearl Harbor, Four Stars Empire. Um, I know the Bad Boys Two has been. You know, I think. It, hang on, it, hang on. Bad Boys Two, you don't think is awful? I do think it's awful. No, you don't. Yes, I do. And the reason I know this is because we were at the Empire Awards about I'm going to say ten years ago, and me and you had a big argument about this, and I turned to Ed. Right, clang, name drop. And I said to him, don't listen to anything Chris says. He thinks Bad Boys 2 is better than Bad Boys. And Edgar turned to me and he went, I happen to agree with him. And I turned around and walked away. Can I just say something? That is true. That is true. Bad Boys 2 is better than Bad Boys, but they're both awful. They're not awful. They're awful, awful, awful films. But anyway. They're not The Rock. They're not Armageddon, you know. No, The Rock, you know, which are in the Criterion Collection, so you know they're good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Michael Bay is an incredibly talented filmmaker, but I, I I do feel maybe he's run his course with this one. And if you know, if the Transformers franchise is to continue, which uh, the Book of Revelation says it will, um, do they it, have maybe any, bring another another director in? Do they have any new and exciting racial stereotypes for us to marvel at? Uh, my my jaw dropped open at some of the the new and uh, egregious racial stereotypes explored in this film, and some of the dialogue. Which uh, this is a movie that thinks the word bitch is a brilliant. Uh, punchline for any joke. Uh, I'm pretty sure Anthony Hopkins says this at some point. And Hopkins is fun. And John Turturro in his brief cameo yelling on down the phone to Anthony Hopkins is fun. 
And, you know, if Mark Wahlberg could pick a characteristic for Kate Yeager to, to play and stick to it, then, then he <laughs> might be fun as well. But he's, he, it feels like it's every Mark Wahlberg performance that you've ever seen. So in one scene, he'll be Mark Wahlberg from The Happening. And then he'll be the, you know, say hello, say hi to your mother for me, Mark Wahlberg, that isn't even Mark Wahlberg from Saturday Night Live, the, Adam, the Andy Samberg version of Mark Wahlberg. Then it'll be Mark Wahlberg from Ted. And then he's going to be the heroic Mark Wahlberg of the last movie. And it just doesn't coagulate. It doesn't cohere into into a whole. And it, it's just relentless. I'm, you know, not to blow my own trumpet too much, but I think I'm pretty smart. So, you, know, I, 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 you know, I think I can follow a movie plot, especially a blockbuster movie plot. There were times in this movie, if you or Nick or someone had been there, I would have turned to you and gone, <laughs> I genuinely do not know what has happened in this film. And I don't think anyone involved with the film knows what's happening in the film either. They've it's never been lamentable. Pro- the problem with these films, and we talked about this, so we went to see, we went to saw Terminator Two again recently, which was a very exciting, very lovely film, and it, <laughs> it's a very, <laughs> that's a very lovely, very film. lovely that's film. It's a lovely film. Um, it it just shows the difference, isn't it? Terminator Two is so layered and so textured in its action, and there's a real rhythm to the set pieces, uh, and. These Transformers movies just have no grammar to them. It's just a relentless barrage of action after action after action. But it is a grammar. It's it's a but it's a new grammar. It's just all and exclamation it's a, marks. It's it, pretty much it is someone screaming in your face for two and a half hours. I, you know, I think if you were to sit down with a stopwatch and time every shot, I don't think anything lasts more than five seconds. And the camera is never still. Like I, that, that's fine in moderation, and it's fine in Transformers moderation. Uh, but for me, it's just it's just overload, and some of the, the the quick cutting and the plot and the dialogue is awful. I think I laugh maybe once or twice. And the thing about this is, well, we're five we're five films into this franchise now, and they still haven't quite grasped the fact that the Transformers should be the focus of these movies. For me, anyway, and CG has come on in leaps and bounds from the first movie, which was damned impressive back in 2007, mm. to the point where you could make a movie where Optimus Prime is the main character. And Optimus Prime in this movie is completely wasted. He is barely in the film. When he is in the film, he just spews a load of boring platitudes. He says, I am Optimus Prime, about a dozen times. It makes you think that he's banged his head at some point. He's just <laughs> double-checking at it, you know. And it's a bit of a shame. And I know that, you know, I've interviewed enough people involved with these films over the years and they go, no, 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 no. The human interest is why people come back. No, mate, it's not. It's because of the giant fucking robots with the swords <laughs> fighting each other. That's why people come back to these films. Because, you know, it's, it delivers something that you haven't necessarily seen on the big screen before. Which is the one which begins with Optimus Prime having a sword fight in a forest? Which one is that? God That's not knows. Extinction, is it? That's the one before that. God knows. Yeah? I remember seeing that and thinking, this is an amazing action piece. And just watching it thinking, this is fantastic. And that was in the first 10 minutes. And then it just carried on like that for two and a half <laughs> two hours. hours. And just like, if you'd actually structured a decent dramatic story and have that one action set piece taken out and put it at the end as the climax, you'd have a good film. Because yeah. you'd work up to it. You think this is great, but you become so desensitized to these sequences that you're wasting millions and millions of dollars on effects where people are just like, oh, for God's sake. Just, just, just don't. But of course, lots of our readers probably love these films and will absolutely go and see. Oh, they're probably furious at the things I'm saying. But it, it, just to qualify, it, I really like the first movie. So do I. And I was yeah. with this franchise. I was excited about Revenge of the Fallen, and I think Revenge of the Fallen is largely not great, but it delivers some good action set pieces. It's got some good stuff with Optimus Prime, and it, of course, it reminds us of the time when Shia LaBeouf 
was a new presence on screen and he was doing something in the first movie that we hadn't really seen from a big movie uh, action lead before. Um, he was it was almost like someone had dropped Woody Allen into a war movie and it was it was really interesting. And now it's just never ending. And compare and contrast with, yes, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where we're 15 films in, we're about to have a 16th, we're about to have a 17th, in Spider-Man Homecoming and Thor Ragnarok and next year, obviously, you know, the, the, you know, the really big one's coming. And people are still excited about these movies. And every time, you know, I, you know, obviously, I'm, I recognize that some people aren't you know, on the Marvel bandwagon and some people feel that these movies, you know, they are dropping off a little bit uh, in terms of their interest. But for the most part, look at the Black Panther trailer, look at the reaction to that. Compare that with the reaction to Transformers of last night, which is already not doing as well at the box office mm. remotely as the last one, which itself didn't do as well at the box office in America as the previous ones. And what is it about these movies that is making them drop off Whereas Marvel and, you know, maybe DC and maybe Star Wars are beginning to, you know, are keeping up that momentum. It's it's very strange and interesting. I wonder if maybe the influence of Steven Spielberg as uh, executive producer in the first movie was a huge part of that movie's appeal. And he focused in on the fact it was about a boy and his car and the story was very, around them was very, very human around, you know, Sam Witwicky and Bumblebee was very, very human. And everything else was Michael Bay stuff. And now the Michael Bay stuff outweighs the Spielberg stuff, mm. 99 to, to 1. It feels like the same shit every time with a slightly different package. Well, this one's got dinosaurs, this one's got the moon, you know, but ultimately... <laughs> this one's got the moon. This one's got this one's, swords this and King Arthur, King Arthur and, what, and a drunk Merlin. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, it is robots hitting each other. It and is. this is part of the problem that the DC Universe has had as well. That there was a, there's an element of that, the CGI climax to the DC movies we're starting to see them hopefully getting away from, uh, it just becomes monotonous. And I think the problem with these films for me more than anything is monotony. There's not enough variation. There isn't enough human interest to give it uh, to give it a texture and to give it you know, a reason to come back and sit through this shit again. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. Uh, I will say, of course, our reviewer, Ian Freer, did not hate the movie as much as I did. Uh, he gave it two stars, which is Burn still him. not a recommendation by any stretch of the imagination. But if you do fancy checking out Transformers last night this weekend, I guess Tony Hopkins... And the brief cameos from, from Tucci and Totoro. One man can do another can do. One man can do another can do. Say with me, Bob. Say with me. Today, we're going to kill him in a fucking bear. Um, <laughs> you know so, what? Don't go and see Transformers. Go and rent The Edge instead. Oh, my God. <laughs> One man can do another can do. Say with me, Bob. Uh, and that's it for this week's Emperor Podcast. <laughs> Two stars for Transformers last night. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined by John Watts, director of Spider-Man Homecoming. And also, I'm very excited about this, Tom Holland. Which Tom Holland? You know, Tom Holland. I, oh, I that's Tom Holland. I assume or is it Tom Holland? Well, I think it's Tom Holland. It might be Tom Holland. Then again, it might be Tom Holland. But I'm pretty sure it's Tom Holland. I Let's put it this way. I hope that the Tom Holland I interviewed was the historian because I didn't have questions prepared for anyone else. So that's going to be fun to find you didn't, out. You didn't have to pull a, a Mark Maron on the whole thing? Well, just wing it. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> when the wrong <laughs> Tom Holland turned up. Yeah. Oh, God. Says who you played for Swansea City. <laughs> oh, no, you're Spider-Man. Uh, so that's very, very exciting. So do check that out. Uh, also, next week, we'll be talking about Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. And on the Monday after that, will be our Baby Driver spoiler special. So do check that out as well. Uh, Jimbo, this is it. The end of our yeah. grand experiment. That was it. Yeah. We've been like the Statler and Waldorf of the Empire podcast. 
yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So that's been fun. Yeah. Say goodbye to the nice people. Bye, nice people. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening. I am off to recruit more people because I don't want to be locked in this room with this, this maniac ever again. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>